Hi, I'm Frank, and I'm an alcoholic. And after three or four beers, I test positive for cocaine every time. So um, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for asking me out, Anna, coming out tonight. Thanks for coming out, Alexis. Congratulations, everybody. Welcome, newcomers and Zoomers. Uh, my story, I am the youngest of three boys from the Bronx. And um, my name, my birth name is Francis. So when I got introduced in school, when I was very little, they would call me Francis. And that's why I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> okay. No, but it didn't help. But anyway, um, so I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I test positive for other things, but uh, like Alexis said, I think in most of it, you know, I started with alcohol, ended with alcohol, and that's my, uh, and I identify as an alcoholic. And I prefer, you know, I don't tell anybody what to do. You know, our common, our prop, primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. I'm all for prim primary purposes to stay sober and help others to stay sober. So um, I do panels um, in H&I and things like that. And how I got involved in H&I was um, my first sponsor, Mike Mallon, he was on the committee for South County H&I and the committee for North County H&I. And um, he asked me to cover his commitments and his panels while he went away on vacation, you know? And um, he was gonna go back to New York and you know, when he came back, he was gonna get his commitments back. So while on vacation, he died. And I've been covering his commitments ever since. It's been about 15 years now. So um, I'm committed, you know, and it, what a great example that was for me. So, so growing up, right here I'm going to zip through um, some of my drunk or drug log, you know, because I think we all know how to get hammered. But um, what happened with me is, long story short, I wanted to be like my older brothers. You know, I had two older brothers. We were all in sports. We all did well. We were captains. And we all did, I did the worst in school, but we were okay in school. And um, I just wanted to really to fit in. I felt like I had to hang out with my older brothers because it was all about being cool, you know? And I wanted to be cool. Whatever cool meant, that, that's what I wanted. And I realized when I was in high school to be cool, I had to drink beer at the keg parties that when the parents were away, the keg parties would be, they'd either be the hockey team, lacrosse team, football team, whatever parties, et cetera, et cetera. And I did not like the taste of beer and I was not attracted to the idea of sitting around and drinking that stuff all day long. Things changed. But anyway, <laughs> what happened was, so I didn't, I was, I was known as a tipper, right? I'd go to cake parties, tip out the beer and act drunk, you know, just to be important, pretend I was cool. I was a liar right out of the gate, big phony baloney. And what happened was um, we have a summer house on a lake in Pennsylvania and we would go up there in the summer and I went to the gym one day while we were at the lake and um, I came back to one of my friend's cottages and they threw a surprise party for me, you know? Surprise, and I was excited. There was a lot of people there and I felt, you know, pretty cool. But the thing is, like, I got around a picnic table and there was no way I was getting out of drinking. I mean, there's not a way, you know, how we think of certain things and that, and, and you know, we're pretty good manipulators, we're great manipulators, the best at lying and everything. And I was not getting out of this. So I gotta be worried I don't scream too loud into the speaker, I get excited. So, uh, but what happened was, I didn't get wasted off my board, I didn't end up puking, the room didn't spin and all that stuff. 
But I, I got a, I got drunk, and I kissed Kathy Claus. Yes, and that was a big deal. You know, you don't know Kathy Claus, and I can't expect you to, but um, and I don't think she's listening, so it's okay. <laughs> what happened was I kissed Kathy Claus. She's the only date the seniors. You know, she was on the chew the chew leader. She was all that, and then some two piece bathing suit. You know, wow. Yeah, but anyway, so I'll get past it. So that was a big deal. Then I got invited around to some of the cooler guys, the older guys. I said, come on, Mike, get in a convertible. Let's go. We're going to the movies, right? So I'm now in the back seat of a convertible with Kathy Claus, nervous, but still, we're going to a drive-in movie theater where we sneak into the back, and then we'd watch the Led Zeppelin concert. The song remains the same, and that was the thing to do for all the lakes to come around and meet there at midnight every night. And there I was living large and um they passed the joint around to me i wasn't ready for that much so i just sort of faked that thing and kept it going but uh you know but the whole point of it the whole point of that that night wasn't the yaha moment or whatever but i became a part of something you know i became cool and the rest of the summer i was cool you know and then when high school started back up again we'd go to cake parties and i started drinking and um i really felt a part of something you know and um, if you're newer here, and uh, if you can relate to that, once you get sober, you're gonna feel part of something much greater than that feeling of being a part, part of the cool clan, because cool just gets not cool anymore, you know? So here I'm gonna venture on my cool trip. So now I'm, I'm cool and I, and I go to college. And um, so I go to college, you know, I'm gonna just break it right here and say, sometimes you hear these stories about, you know, the girl, the girl's up there sharing, and I'm not, you know, I'm, hey, if you're taking myself, don't take yourself too seriously. We're here to have fun, all right? So you hear these girls, and they say, and, and you know what? It turns out that he, that he was a drug dealer. And everybody's like, oh, no, that bad guy. Like, okay, so you just found out that this guy you've been living with for the last six months is a drug dealer, right? Give me a break, right? So just give me a break. So anyway, we all have those drug crew you didn't like that one, that's okay. So anyway, we all have these. I'm gonna tell you about my cartel, all right? So I'm in college now and um, I'm the rush chairman and we charge the kegs and the, and the new guys, the plebs coming in, et cetera, et cetera. And um, one of these guys from Puerto Rico wanted to get into the fraternity, you know? And, and they came up to me and he said, Greg, how am I gonna get into the fraternity? I'm like, I don't know. And this guy was Carlos Perez, right? And he goes, I got $6,000 grant, man. So he's got $6,000 in his grant. So it's not like a loan, it's tuition paid for. He, his books are covered and he's got $6,000. I go, you better get Carlos, you want to get into the fraternity, huh? So we sit down with Carlos and I'm talking to Carlos because Carlos is going to get into the fraternity, count on that, right? Because he's getting in, right? So we're already there, but I have to play Carlos a little bit. So, all right, Carlos. So, um, so Carlos goes back to Puerto Rico on vacations, and then the the Puerto Rican people that were in our school were wealthy, you know, and they didn't have to learn English language, and they got good grades, and they, that's didn't matter. So, Carlos gave. I go. So, I got an idea. I tell Carlos to take the six thousand dollars when he goes back pre nine eleven and come back with cocaine. Right? So, so Carlos goes, goes back on break, and I'm waiting for Carlos to come back from Puerto Rico with his $6,000 worth of cane. And Carlos shows up, and he's got this bowling ball of Peruvian plate cocaine with him. Pops it out of his, like, his little, could have been, a, I don't know, 
suitcase, let's put it that way. Doesn't matter. The point is, wow, Carlos now, now Carlos is in the fraternity for sure, right? I've never seen so much freaking cocaine in my life. Probably never will again, maybe. I, that Tony Montana show was Scarface. But anyway, so he's got this ball. And I'm thinking, whoa, if we chop that up with a little, whatever you chop it up with, um, whatever, I forget the name, doesn't matter. But that thing there, that's like a bathtub of cocaine right there. And so I'm thinking, this is the Frank Cartel, right? So now we've got the Frank Cartel going. And you guys are you guys are part of the possibly, right? So I got we're in a quad, maybe less than half of you guys here. But Kelly, you're in charge of the men's doing. You got the mental. I got time. You got that right. I got the mental. Give me my, <laughs> give me my, give me my quarter round, right? And then Tim over there, you got sorority row. You got the sororities, right? When you working with Alexis, because she knows some girls over there and she's got connections. And then you know, a couple of you other guys, maybe Ruben over there, or Marcus, or whoever, it doesn't matter, right? You're in charge of off off-campus housing, you know? And then Tim, Tim and Lori, you guys handle computers. You guys, are, you guys get around pretty well. You guys are in charge of computers. And uh, Anna, and you guys, and you guys, you guys handle the cafeteria, you know? And we've got, we've got this whole freaking thing figured out, right? And I'm just going to, we're going to be doing cocaine for the rest of our scholastic career. It's going to be great. Six days later, we came out of that meeting. Jaws up around her. Nothing to distribute. And that was the end of the Frank Cartel right there. <laughs> that's like the story of my life, you know? You overshot the mark. All right, so anyway, so it was still fun, you know, and I got out of college, went to another one, we find our people. And then I went and I got recruited out of a, I went to a, we got snowed and I went to an employment fair and I got a job working for General Motors. And I did pretty good at that for a year. And uh, I wanted to leave California, come to New York. Right, so um, I bought a car and decided to follow the Yankees across the uh, the country and hit another few ballparks. It was going to be Frank's big adventure, and uh, I had my little jackalope rabbit on the front seat, and I had all my belongings in my new Jetta. Now, if you're older, you'll get this one, but if you you young guys that are born with cell phones and all this, so it was cool back then to have a cool stereo, right? So I had a cool stereo and I had big speakers. So when I packed up my car and moved across the country, that's all that fit in the car was my stereo. You know, I didn't have too much other things. So I had the two speakers in the back of the car. You know, I had my stuffed rabbit in the front and then I had my other stuff in the trunk. And we went around the country and I'm stopping at bars and I'm having a great time. And it was a lot of fun, you know, because so drugging and well, drinking for me at that point is our social lubricant, right? We're drinking and drugging is a social lubricant. So if I have a girlfriend, she said, hey, honey, let's go. Let's go to Barbara's party. It's going to be great. I'm like, no way. I'd rather die to go to Barbara's party. There's no chance in heck. I'm going to Barbara's party. Barbara's freaking deadbeat. I don't want to go to Barbara's. Oh, they're going to have an open bar. What time's the party start, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> But because that, then it was, you know, that was like social lubricant. We want to drink it. When we start drinking, we make quick, quick friends. And you will too in this program. So I'm going to, as I'm, so I come out here and I'm going to work for GM. I go to go to job. First week was great and quiet. I'm reserved. And they asked me to go out. And I'm like, well, I don't really want to let anybody know I have a drinking problem because like, we know we have a little bit of an issue before we admit it. You know, that, that stuff circling around the drain 
um, long before it goes down. And we know when we're circling around the drain. I was circling around the drain. But after this is my chance, here I am. Like California, things are going to be great. And the guys asked me, hey, Frank, we're all going out to a happy hour at Costa Mesa and Red Onion. Let's go out the happy hour. You'll love it. I go, I don't know, man. I just want you to go, come on, don't be loose. You got to come out. Yeah, I know you're living with your aunt and uncle and your two girl cousins, you know. And they were on to me. So I said, okay, let's go. So we go there. And, um, you know, we get the beer. And it stands for like a Bobby McGee's thing. If you guys don't know what that is, it's just a bar, right? Single bar. And um, I'm drinking. I have a couple beers. Now I'm loose. Now I'm dancing. And anything that moves, I'm dancing, you know. Yeah, I'm a New York guy, whatever. And then next thing you know, one thing, a couple shots. And next thing you know, I'm in the bathroom with like six stalls. I'm on the end stall by the sink. I know it's a little bit graphic here, but just get it. Now, so, but now I'm passing the bindle underneath the stall that goes all the way down the end and comes all the way back. And I don't even know who's down there, you know? And uh, so the, the guy next to me is my boss. You know, I found out later and we opened up the doors so like, Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm on a roll, and then I come back out. Now I'm really got the groove on, right? And um, so they take my tie off and they pour tequila and maybe vodka. I don't know, it was a Mexican type atmosphere. And they blend up my tie, and we all drank my tie. We tied one on together. And next thing you know, the last thing that night that happened to me that I remember was I'm out in the parking lot at a company car, Camaro, who had the the latch between the elbow on the elbow rest there, you can hit it when you need, right? So I found some some girl and we were out there in the car and I hit that latch thing and the thing went up in the back and uh, and the music's blasting and there are the things up in the back and whatever's going on in there. And uh, next thing I know, there's a flashlight going, it's the cops, you know? So Frank's big adventure, the first night out with the crowd, you know, and then the guy said, we should arrest you. And then someone came by, hey, we'll get him home, blah, 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 blah. So that was sort of a catastrophe in my mind. So I go home, the next day I get the car, feel bad. So I go into work Monday, right? And there's cubicles and all these people, you know, like the ground at the bar to go there afterwards. Um, and I walk in and when I walk in, everybody looks up over the cubicles and they're like, Frank the Tank, Frank the Tank. You know, it was like a little folk hero, you know? So anyway, it was still working, all right? So now I met this girl who um, I asked out and uh, she worked for GM financing or something like she did. That's what she did. And we went out and uh, we started drinking and um, she would do cocaine with me and uh, we would do this. And then when else she's staying over and we had friends over and now it's late night. It's like three or four in the morning, you know, and we're out. And, you know, I'm not one of those look out the window, freak out, lose it kind of guys, but we have some. And we got a lot of people picking the carpets around the place, you know, and I, I don't think that is, but go ahead. And <laughs> fire it up, brother, you got it. Looks like an ant to me, but so, but anyway, she, right, this girlfriend, she would drive to the drug dealer's house at three or four more, no questions asked. It was a pretty thing, too. And she, no questions asked because my dealer's girlfriend, and her got along and whatever. They would go over there, come back in a half hour, no questions asked, and the party would continue. You know, this is great stuff. So what I did with her is I married her. You know, there you go. Boom. What do you do with that? You married that. So I married that, and I went on to work, and I'm going to get to my little party story here. But we went on to work, and what happened, um, 
we got married, we're living, things are fine. And I went to work for another company and they got bought out and I came into um, a good size of money for seven figure payout for whatever. And, um, and what happened is I already had a nice house in Laguna Niguel, not too far from here. Had a boat in the harbor, one at the river, some nice cars and life was good. You know, we were, we were, we were doing the deal and uh, big shots whatever in my mind. And what happened when I got that money, she wanted to grow up and start a family. And I didn't. So, you know, the point there is we don't necessarily have the worst childhoods. We don't necessarily have the best childhoods, but we definitely want the longest childhoods. And um, so, you know, if you're here today or here tonight, you know, I got four words. Time to grow up, you know, and that just did not seem too appealing to me at the time. So I held the door open, she left, and uh, now it's Frank and uh, fun time. So what I did every day, um, I didn't have to work for a while. I would go down to Hennessy's Dan Point, maybe you know where it is, maybe you don't. And uh, there was another bar next door, Fish Puppet or something like that. And I got in a relationship with the bartender, she was pretty, and I got a relationship with her, so that was perfect. Then my uh, drug dealer, he was hanging out there too, coincidentally, and his runners were hanging around. And my bookie, he was hanging around, his runners were there. And I'm friends with the um, bartenders, whatever. Long story short, at two o'clock, late, late night party at Frank's, whatever. And um, what I would do every day, because I was hot stuff, you know, I would go down to that bar at 11, when your shift started. She get off at four, I go home, pass out, do the power nap. And I'd be back out about uh, 10 or 11 o'clock to close it down at two. And then the after hours party would kick in my house. And I was doing that every day. Every day for a long time. One day I went into that bar and um, one of my friends goes, Frank, you don't look good. You know, I might not have been feeling good. I'm sure I wasn't feeling good because I remember the day. But uh, you wake up, you dry heat, you know, maybe you sweated through the sheets pretty good. You don't feel that great. Maybe you did some something else that keeps you going pretty fast. And you had a pimple last night. And you played with until you had a, a tomato for a face, you know. <laughs> and maybe there's some blocks that's showing up on your legs here and there. Or maybe there's a little blood in your stool or blood in your No big deal, you know. Just wasn't feeling great that day, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, a few beers, I'll be ready to rock. A few beers, I'll be back in the saddle again, man. Oh, yeah, baby. Duck, 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 Frank Cartel, let's get it on. So anyway, so I so, so I said, just give me a beer, honey. And uh, you know, they tell you from, from New York, they say, Frank, you look like crap. Hey, you look like crap too. Love your day, go after yourself, blah, blah, blah. It didn't matter. It didn't face. But she wouldn't serve me. So what happened is I go, okay, what do you need? What do I need to get served? She goes, go see a doctor. Okay, I'll go see the doctor. This is what I'll put on the show. So I walk across as a quick medic and across the other side of the parking lot. I walk over to the quick medic. I get to the quick medic and they put the, um, they take the vitals, you know, the blood pressure thing. And next thing I know, there's an ambulance out in front and I'm on my way to the hospital. I had a blood pressure. I don't know the numbers, but I'm going to throw it out. It was like 200 something over 200 something. I'm about to blow. You know, I was ready to, the kid was ready to freaking just blow a fuse right there. And the doctor didn't want anything to do with it. She's still my doctor to this day. But anyway, she wanted another one. She said, get him out of here. So I got nothing got in the ambulance. I went down to the South Coast Medical Changes thing five times. <coughs> We're going to Beach Hospital. And um, 
they get me there and there's the red light on, they put me in my cart, they put me underneath the red light and they're pumping all these IVs into me, you know, getting my vitamins right, get my blood levels right or whatever they gotta get right. They had to get it right and they squeeze all this stuff. The next thing I know, um, this nurse that hangs out at the bar, this Frank guy, uh, they just, I go, I'm Catholic and they go, okay. The next thing I know, they, the priest from the monastery or the ministry or the uh, the chapel, I don't know which one, but this priest shows up and he goes, Frank, you got uh, anything you want to confess? He calls me Francis, you know, it's a, it's a Catholic thing. And uh, <laughs> St. Francis is a sissy. I don't, I don't want to backtrack my story, but. I had to explain to the kids in, in the Bronx, why is everybody, mom, 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 why is everybody making fun of my name? They tell me you're named after St. Francis of Assisi. It's a city in Italy. Oh, okay, great. I five, six year old or a buzz cut. Yeah, so you don't know. Back to tell that. So I go, hey, you tell me you the St. Francis of Assisi. They go, Francis, Assisi, Francis, Assisi. So that didn't work. So they mom goes back to school and changed my name to Frank. But anyway, so well, I was well, I was, now I'm in the hospital, I'm dying, see, I'm having a flashback. But so anyway, so we call the priest up, and uh, seven hours later, um, they wake me up, who I came to, right? And they're like, oh, Frank, welcome back. Evidently, I flatlined, my blood levels were all right? They called a friend of mine to come pick me up, take me home, like, at 11 p.m. And he comes pick me up, takes me home at 11 p.m. I'm feeling pretty good. I haven't had my blood levels right. God knows, man. <laughs> you know? And I'm sitting there. And I'm not seriously, I was feeling pretty good. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Sports Center, see how my uh, games are turning up. And I gambled before I dropped it. And, um, and I'm just sitting there and I'm feeling a little bored, you know? And I'm wondering what's going on down at my bar? You know? How are they doing this? How are they getting along without me? You know, I'm there every day. I'm the man, right? So we like, big shot. So I go down to the bar and I show up, hey, hey Roger, cool lady. He goes, hey man, we can't serve you. He goes, Pancho, we can't serve you here, man. I go, why not? He goes, well, they took you out of here at 11 this morning. You dropped dead in the hospital <laughs> because you drank too much. And now you're back from the hospital. You want us to serve you? I go, yeah. Goes, no, we can't do that. So I go, okay, so let me call you. Long story short, I call Paul Hennessy or whatever. And they come and the guy serves me beer and back off to the race I go. So I don't want to belabor you with how many times I went back and forth with that little sideshow going back and forth to the hospital, but more than once. So one of the final times that I went back there, the doctor, um, you know, they tell you, Frank, if you continue to keep this up, you're going to die, you know, because I was flatlining in the hospital. And um, I go, I got it. So anyway, he goes, I know she got a limp. I go, yeah, yeah I, I do have a limp. You're right. And he goes, I have, why do you have that limp? You fall down? I go, no, I don't know why I have the limp, but it's right. He goes, well, I'm going to get this checked out, right? I go, all right. So uh, what we do is he goes, he's going to get an MRI, right? The MRI, everything's on in there. Wonder what's going on with the world. And I get out, he looks at some stuff, and they put me back in there again, and the noise goes on, and they put the headphones on, and they're taking their time this time. You know, they gave me the music, so it's the second time around. Okay, for the big show now, huh? But anyway, so what happened, long story short, what happened is I had to have both of my hips replaced due to drug and alcohol abuse. There was no reason, no falling off a motorcycle, no one fall down the no stairs, no this, that, the other got kicked the wrong way, this, that, child injury. No, I needed both of my hips replaced due to drug and alcohol abuse. That was on my little chart. I got to read my chart. That doesn't look good. How can we doctor that? No, no. No one cared anymore. 
So anyway, so I got both of my hips replaced. Both of my hips are now on my, from my legs up are titanium, from my femurs, pelvis, titanium, pelvis, uh, sockets of titanium. The rest is normal, but um, all, so the moral of that story is, you guys, some of you know the moral of the story next to that moral. The moral of the story is I literally drank my ass off. <laughs> I drank my ass. You know, every once in a while, oh he points his ass off. Really, I gotta talk to that guy. Yeah. So because you know, I got the I got the staples or the zippers they call them all of them down the side. And I I do H and I and I go if I get near the jail, the alarm starts going off, you know, bomb alert, bomb alert, here comes some metal detecting going on. If there was a magnet over there, it'd fly over here and stick to me like nobody's problem. And I go to hockey games, they got the thing to walk through. It's always a show, you know. It used to be cool before night or well. I don't know if it happened before, it doesn't matter. But the whole point is I beep. You know, I'm a beeping renaissance imaging mofo ask me please do the drugs and alcohol. <laughs> That's the whole big deal. So now I get out of there. I get to have my thing there happen and I fall in love with my uh, physical therapist, beautiful girl. <laughs> and um, what happens is I ask her out to dinner for some sushi. Yeah, let's go have some sushi. Waited the 10 days, the whole thing did the right thing. She's the promises, right? And I heard Alexis uh, talk about early, early relationships, you know, 30 days, she doesn't know what's right from wrong. It's none of my business, but I know for a fact, I went out with this girl and she was everything. And I did not have my social lubricant, you know, so I'm nervous, you know, I'm nervous. Wow, I'm here, I am with my dream come true. It's all working out as planned. And uh, I asked her, you know, what do you have to drink? She goes, uh, what do you have to drink? I'm going, I'm going to have some iced tea. I figured she'd see my old chart, you know, new hips, drug it out all these, you know. It's not really like the, the big thrilling thing on a on dating site. I don't start with that. But anyway, uh, so we ordered the sushi, things are going great. And I get her a thing of sake, so she's going to be cool. You know, hey, you have your sake here, have a little Sapporo. And then she goes, you going to make me drink a lot? I go, well, what's the big deal? You know, I don't feel like drinking, you know. You're to make a big one. And then she touched me and I fell apart. I said, okay. <laughs> so we got the Sapporo, you know, the silver Sapporos with the two little laid out glasses or something like that. It's close to how it is. And we poured a bucket and I just stuck my behind my iced tea, having a great time. And like, maybe like an octopus, octopus salad later, she said, you're making me drink a lot. I go, no, 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 no. So we had phone booths back then. I get up and go, pretend I'm going to take a leap on my sponsor. You know, quarter, he doesn't answer. Come back. I said, screw it. I have the one. The rest of the night went fine. We dated after that. Not that you care, but we did. It was a great night. But what happened that night, the two things. I First, I let the lion out of the cage. You know, we had, we had a smash the illusion. We could drink like normal people again. I never drank normally, and there was no delusion to smash, but I figured, hey, I did it. You know, I got to control it. And then they tell you, wait, you have to control something. In reality, it's really controlling you, right? I didn't think of that at that point either. So what was I thought about was her. And um, I made her my higher power. And after that, I started drinking during back out at you again, you know? And I was doing the same thing over and over again with the new hips, Twilight history. And um, it was September, it was Labor Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, and uh, everybody from Hennessy's, you know, I'm a big shot down there, I'm going to be the bikini contest judge for the Labor Day party, you know, big, uh-huh, I know, anyway, so, um, 
So I'm all excited. It's going to be this big party down the beach, down Laguna or something like that. Let's Grand Laguna again. And we're going to be a big party down there. And, you know, I'm, I'm all pumped up about this because Mr. Big, we're going to the rich going outside. You know, I got to, I got to, I give you a surfboard like five years before from the Bronx. I don't know how to surf, but I got my surfboard out. And I took it down to the bar like the day before the party and I'm waxing and saying, oh, we're going to hit some waves, Calabongo, all that. I got my new wave for sunglasses. Everybody on the bar is going to be outside all day. Wow. You know, so we're going to pick up from our friend 1030. Be ready. I'll be ready, ready. I'll be ready. So 10.30 roll around, I have 2.30 packs on ice overnight, so really cold. But when I open up those cans, of course, light, it's gonna be that blue mountain's gonna be there, it's gonna be great. And uh, all my drug dealers are gonna be there, the bookies are gonna be there, all the waitresses are gonna be there. This, this, oh, this is gonna be the party of lifetime. I'm the bikini contest judge, this is gonna be great. And I'm waiting for my friends, and the doorbell rings 10.30 on time, and boom. Couple people ruined it, but that's okay. Intervention. Oh. Intervention, right? And who's in the intervention? My girlfriend, Mark. my aunt and uncle, my friend, family, my drug dealer in all his words, my bookie and his runners, and a whole lot of bony baloney friends. Maybe I know their first name, probably not just the old, good old proverbial chin dots. Hey, hey. You know, the chin nodders. There are all the chin nodders in there. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know what to think, you know? And um, you know what I thought? I said, screw it. Let's go. So, you know, and then they say, let go with love. And my family with all the love in their heart. They took me, and they dropped me off at Charlie Street that night. And um, I didn't know much about it, but it didn't seem that great of a place. And uh, I was dry even, right? And when you're driving in the they throw you up, and they tell you to take, cut it out, you know? That's it, cut it out. So anyway, so I'm mopping up my drive heat, you know, for my, my puke. Not to get too graphic, but I'm, it's not pretty. And I'm doing that, and it's like 105 degrees out. I think mean, it was high close to Mason. It was freaking out. There's one fan, and I think that one fan just sits on the smoking section and blows the smoke in, you know? And it was it, it was bad. I'm like, oh, we gotta drink the honey water. Drink the honey water. Frank, you feel better. So I have some honey water. I don't think it made me feel any better. But anyway, so then I come around night, and uh, I'm not feeling great, obviously. And next thing you know, seven days later, I wake up in whole hospital. So what happened was, I guess while I was waiting to fall asleep on my plastic covered bed, I seized up. And they took me to whole, and I flatlined that night. And um, six or six days later, I come out of this maybe medically induced coma. You don't know, I'm not. So I'm sort of making this up right now. I came to six days later, all right? And uh, they go, you know where you are? I go, yeah, not until I speak to those nurses and TV and a nice sheet bed. And I'm strapped down to the bed, which I didn't like too much. But I, I had vertigo and I couldn't stand and I was pooping my pants, you know, and uh, not pretty. So and when I got to leave there, you know, seven days later, they say, you okay to go? I go, I hope so, you know. And, then, and the Charlie Street people come by and, um, they let me go and they give me this beautiful walker and I go back to Charlie Street with my beautiful walker. And there was a Bentley of walkers, rubber wheels, nice looking walker seat, the whole gate. And then also what they did, um, so I'm sitting there again talking to the Charlie Street guy when I get back and I seized up again and I got to get snow. 
So what happened was I dropped it again. They gave me a worse walker. It sucked. They called the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang Walker. And the guy, when I come back the second time, he looks me in the eye and he goes, Frank, I got news for you. He goes, and I go, what's that? The war's over and you lost. And you know what? He left maybe for a few minutes and went well. But think about it. Think about it. And I thought about it. All the things that I gave up in life to drink and drug for the bottle and the bag. I just destroyed my entire life. And in the big book, in Dr. Uh, the doctor's opinion, it tells us, you know, the reason why we drink and drug is because we like the effect produced by drugs and alcohol. The reason why I do AA is because I like the effects produced by alcoholics and arms. But it, it, and then it says, even though we know, even though we know it's injurious to ourselves. So injurious to myself wasn't the fact that I had blotches for blotches and blood in the stool, sweat sick, physically, physically destroyed. Yes, it destroyed. Physically, I was shot. You know, three fire lines, I'm done, right? I'm lucky to be there. But it destroys everything. It doesn't just, just destroy our freaking health. It destroys our personal relationships with our family. It destroys our friendships. It destroys children. It destroys wives, husbands, families, relatives. It destroys our financial future. It destroys our career. It destroys all our potential. It destroys every freaking fiber in our body and our soul. We treated everything, I mean everything, to drink and drug. And once I start drinking, that's all that matters. I don't have an off switch. I don't go to bed. I pass out. I don't wake up. I come to. And then it tells us once we've been beaten into a state of reasonableness, and we realize, you poor little victims out there, we realize that all our problems are our own making. But when I say all the problems are my own making, and I remember early on, it was like blaming mom, dad, brother, cousin, uncle, sister, professor, coach, maybe my brother was the favorite. He always got the breaks, this, that, and the other thing. They don't treat me right. I get split off. I got screwed. All that blame game. When I realized that every time that I drank a drug and I got in trouble or had a consequence, none of those people were there that I was blaming. I'm the common denominator. I was always there. I'm the one who poured the booze down my throat and the stuff up my nose. It was me every freaking time. So I had to come to realize that all of my problems were my own making. And once I did that, then we're at that turning point. We're at that turning point where I was right there when that guy was telling me the war's over and I lost. And I'm at that turning point. And it says for you, so one, I had this program, this spiritual program of action, you know, or I had this other, I just see, I'm sorry. I can go on to the bitter end, keep drinking and drugging, blotting out of my existence, my miserable life, toss, start talking to myself, blaming everybody on the street, maybe the telephone pole, see behind, eat behind the dumpsters, find the pizza with the less freaking mosquitoes on it, and just put poop in my pants, the teeth riding out, just miserable death and die on the street. Or I can take this spiritual program of action and have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Not an easy choice for the alcoholic. <laughs> but at that point, the choice became clear to me and it hit me. And it's the most important thing in my life as we stand here right now, as I wake up this morning, as I woke up 15 years ago, the most important thing in my life today and every day is I want to be sober. So if you're new here and you're really not too excited about being sober, do not panic. You won't be sober. But if you want to be sober, you want to like me on your other streets and you're willing to take the action, get honest with yourself and others, 
get open-minded to spiritual aspects in life, and be willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober and work with somebody through these steps of this program, your life's going to get better, a whole lot better. And not only get better, it's going to get better beyond your wildest dreams. And you can't see it now, but it will happen. So I got a quick story for you, and I'm going to wrap it up. If I have, when I got sober, I had a first got sober, I had to donate some blood to myself when I got that operation, right? So I wasn't really sober, but I wasn't drinking drugs because I needed clean blood to get back after my hips were replaced. So I was at this meeting in a Charlie Street meeting up in Santa Ana. And during the meeting, this guy comes walking through, right? He comes banging through the doors and stuff like that. And he's like huffing and puffing with this big white suit on or whatever he had on a like painter suit. And he sits down and uh, he goes, oh, where am I at, where am I at? This is an AA meeting. Oh, okay. You know, and he had a bar, he had a thing full of vodka. And um, it wasn't pretty. So anyway, he stayed for that meeting. He was running from a gang fight, you know. He, he, he's a gang member from LA. And he, I guess he came down to Santa Ana to move into the suburbs instead of the, uh, the, the uh, at least you guys got it fixed. But um, so anyway, so he's in the wrong place the wrong time. And now he's in the 80. And we ended up coming back because he got sober. And he got sober. And I remember I went back out and I ruined my life. And I felt so bad for James. I wanted to give him awards. I wanted to give him some money. I was just so bad for James, this poor guy. But God put him in my, I don't know. But I love this guy, James. And we went through a few meetings together. And I, I went back out and I came back to that same meeting Four years later, and James was taking a four-year kick. And James, James got a car, he had a watch, he had a girlfriend, he had a job, he had a place to live. I had nothing. I I mean, I blew everything. I had nothing. I was in a rental car and no gas. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sitting there, James telling his story, and I start crying. I'm crying hard, you know, and it was like mixed. I was crying happy for him. And maybe my poor pathetic self also, you know, all the things I blew. Because those four years, he went to hero and I went to zero, you know? So I got the, he comes up to me after that meeting and he goes, Frank, I saw you crying. I go, yeah, James, I'm so happy for you. He goes, yeah, you're, you're my friend. I, go, I love you, buddy. And I go, I love you too. And uh, he goes, I got one word for you. You got to listen to me. You got to trust me in this. And I go, what do you got, James? What do you got? He goes, you got to stay. So that hit me, you know, because I went out and I saw his life just blossom if I went to crack. So two years later, I'm feeling good about myself. I'm going to go get my two-tier chip at that meeting. I go back to that meeting and I'm looking around for James. I'm looking around for James because my, my life's back on track and I go tell him, hey, James, I stayed, I stayed, I stayed. And I go to a, a friend of mine who knows James and he goes, hey, where's James? He goes, you in here? I go, no, man. He goes, Couple of weeks ago, he went back out and they found him dead on the street. He died of alcoholism on the street. And I started crying again. And you know what? That just tells you, you know, God, you gotta stay. We have to stay. And if you stay, your life will get better. And we guarantee it. And gosh darn it, that was James Day. And I'm gonna just tell you this, guys, if you do this program, your life's gonna get better and better and better. It may not seem it, but it's one day at a time. So you're living in fear about the future. Just worry about today. Look where your feet are. Right now, feel good about yourself. You're in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're doing about something about your, your sobriety. You're, you're participating in your life. You're going to be able to make healthy, happy, educated decisions. Your life's going to be better. And we promise you that your life is going to be better. We guarantee it will get better. And if we go out there and you drink, 
It might going to suck. So, so please, please, please stay. Thanks for the share.